Hey everybody, we just got done with our second trip to Minnesota and things went a lot better on this trip. We're going to tell the story of all the things that happened on this podcast. We're also going to start off the episode talking about different gear and tips for staying warm during a cold weather hunt. And we'll also touch on the specifics of bow hunting during those cold conditions. So our Black Friday sale is going on right now. Everything's on sale. We've got a bunch of cool new stuff on the website, but once it's gone, it's gone for good. We're not going to be getting anything back in stock, so if you're interested in getting something, don't wait around because if you wait too long, it might be gone. If you guys want to save some money when you're buying stuff off our website, you can use the code ZACH, spelled Z-A-C-H. So if there's ever a time to get stuff at the cheapest price you possibly could, right now's that time. We've also partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Also on Go Wild, there's a store with tons of outdoor products, and Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts, and you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So you can use those $10 on Go Wild store, and if you want to save an additional 10% off of all your orders on Go Wild store, you can use the code THP. All you got to do to get started is visit downloadgowild.com. All right, Nick and I are going to be talking cold weather bow hunting. On this episode, we're going to be talking about late season cold weather bow hunting. We're on the road, we're leaving Minnesota. Headed back to Iowa, and this is the second podcast that we've recorded tonight. Mm -hmm. We've been talking a bunch and, you know, just having a good time and been drinking caffeine. It's late at night. It is actually currently 12.33, but we're going to see how this goes, and if it turns out good, then you're listening to it, and if it doesn't turn out good, you're not listening to it. Yep. we still got an hour hour and six minutes to drive, so. Perfect. Yeah, we, this is the second podcast we're recording tonight, but literally the entire drive has been just one big podcast, <laughs> but we're only capturing little bits of it. It hasn't stopped. It's pretty incredible when you get two talkers in the vehicle, how many words can just be, <laughs> just how much word vomit comes just out. so much vomit. I mean, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. <laughs> so... This hunt brought some unique challenges. The preparation for this hunt looked a little bit different than most, and I think just getting ourselves geared up for a little, like a super cold weather bow hunt mm-hmm. was pretty unique and pretty fun to like think about all the little things that we were going to do and change. Yep. I had been hunting in Minnesota with Keith. The rifle season opened on November 5th. And that was a nine-day gun season, and made sense to go back, edit some video. Nick was in Kansas, mm-hmm. and uh, we were kind of trying to decide how it made the most sense to kind of p- put people in the right places to fill the existing tags. Because yep. at, at the point of, like, the meeting, what, a week ago or so, Aaron had a tag for Iowa, and I had this tag for Minnesota, yep. and Ted had just filled the Kansas mm-hmm. tag. So it was like, all right, well, how are we going to make this work? And Greg was pretty much going back to 
Iowa. Mm-hmm. He, to, yeah, he had just gotten to Iowa. Yeah, and he was going to be there to film uh, Aaron. It was like, well, I guess Nick's the guy to come up to, to Minnesota. So mm-hmm. we start making this game plan, and, and I had known that the weather was going to turn completely the opposite way that it had been the whole time that we had hunted on the first trip here. And, I mean, for the last several days that we were there, for sure, it was really warm. Like 65 was getting up to. And for that area, it was higher than average. So when we were going to go back the second time, I've been looking at the 10-day forecast ever since we left, and it's just colder and colder and colder and colder. And we're talking about a 10-day forecast that basically looked like some amount of snow every day, mm-hmm. temperatures in the low 20s as a high at its highest, like 22 is the highest in every 10-day forecast I looked at. And the lows were going to be like zero to negative a few. Yeah. And uh, some days wind, a lot of days, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 mile an hour wind. And like those are some cold conditions. And also the snow was going to play a unique role in all this as well and something that i've been doing for years is putting off buying some snow camo covers it feels like every season the snow comes or you know i make a couple hunts in in the snow and i'm like man i wish i would have just pulled the trigger and just bought bought those things yeah and knowing that we were gonna you know be in the snow a lot on this hunt i just was proactive and i just bought the things and I bought these, I think they were like, I want to say they were probably like 35 a piece, I think, for the top and the bottom. And they were like these game hide, um, just real, real light snow covers. So it basically just goes over all your clothes that you're wearing. I ended up getting two different hats. I got white baseball cap hats, and then I also got white beanies. And... Uh, we ended up really just wearing the white beanies over our regular build hats, our, our camo hats. But I think the snow camo is really effective. I think we can revisit yeah, that in a yeah, little bit. Yeah, for sure. And then um, another thing that we got and had that I think was really important as far as gear was um, boot gaiters. Yeah, the gaiters were a game changer, I'd have to say. So the funny thing about the gaiters was... I just completely dropped the ball. I have gators at my house and was like, don't forget those. Those are like the number one thing you got to remember because you're going to want to keep the snow out of your boots. And I just completely forgot them. We got there and I was like, oh, man, like, you know, that was dumb. And then I was scrambling and we actually ended up ordering them for like a pickup on our way to where we were going hunting. So we just swung through made a little little detour and and picked some up but the reason for using boot gaiters for those that have never used them because nick had never used them is just keeping water from getting down your pant leg and like either going straight in the top of your boot or just getting your pants wet enough that it soaks down into your sock which um, happens a lot in like turkey season in like a grassy area if you got a bunch of dewy grass or something and it you know hits your pants and then runs down your sock and eventually it just makes your mm-hmm. feet soaked and i started using them a few years ago and i got the first pair of them that i ever had and i was like man 
Like this is a real game changer for just keeping your feet dry and especially a game changer for keeping your feet dry in the snow. It's really, really helped me a lot and I knew that on this hunt that uh, it was something we were going to need because we were going to be in a lot of snow. And I mean, there was definitely times we were up, you know, knee high in snow mm-hmm. and that, you know, having those definitely makes a big difference. So tell them about what how it went for you in Kansas with your boot situation and when you knew you oh, need, yeah. needed to do something different. So the boots I have are just, I mean, they're just leather boots. I mean, they're they're hunting boots, but they don't have any insulation really. I mean, it's they're so paper thin. Um, and it's, I've never had to really worry about, you know, my feet getting too cold, like, like actually worry about the thought of frostbite, you know, <laughs> it's just not an issue for me. I mean, I've gotten cold feet before while hunting, but not have to be scared about it, you right. know, and me and Ted were hunting in Kansas and it was like actual temperature that morning was like nine degrees, real feel was probably whatever. And, you know, slept in a tent and just had my boots in the tent with me that night. So when I wake up to put them on in the morning, they're nine degrees. <laughs> and I'm like, they're just, you know, regular boots that are perfect size, not enough room to be putting on big socks yeah. or anything. And I just wear Nike running socks and just wear the boots. And three hours into the hunt, you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning and it's still only like 12 degrees. And I cannot feel my feet in there. Well, I can feel them because they are in ex- extreme pain. <laughs> Both of them just hurt really bad, but I can't actually feel like parts of my. When I touched my feet, I couldn't feel anything. I took my boots off and I was rubbing them with hand warmers, and so. Anyways, that happens. <laughs> then, conclude that whole trip. Realize I'm going to be going to Minnesota. And it's going to be below zero while we're there. And there's snow. Like, there was no snow in Kansas. So, mm-hmm. my feet were dry. They were just literally freezing cold. <laughs> well, now I'm going to go to Minnesota, and I'm going to be in snow. So, my boots are going to be wet. And it's going to be 30 <laughs> degrees colder. You know, so I was like, I, I can't, I, there's no way. Like, I was legitimately scared of losing a toe <laughs> in Kansas. Like if this goes on all day, there's no way I'm not losing a foot. <laughs> and so I was like, I told Zach, I was like, I have if I'm gonna come up there, I have to get some new boots. Uh, I got something has to change. So Zach bought me some, some, uh, some just winter boots. I mean, just cold weather boots that I didn't have. And uh, and that was the entire that changed the game. If I would have had to wear the boots I wore, I mean, I couldn't have done it. That I mean, I just wouldn't have been able to do it. And instead, my feet never got cold, ever. It's funny, though, that you've never really had to worry about that. Being from Texas. Yeah. Never had to worry about, like, too cold of feet. And it's it's just a funny perspective, really. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's yeah, different it's, than all of us. Yeah, you've definitely had to worry about it. <laughs> I mean, the only time I ever had to worry about it was when I was in South Korea and Japan. And, you know, I was outfitted with the equipment I needed mm-hmm. to keep my feet warm. So, I mean government gave me gave me what i needed right so now i've just left my own devices and i'm hunting in temperatures that i've never hunted in and it's just a learning curve it's just always funny when something's normal to you and it's so not normal to somebody else it's always funny the gators i think was a big deal for just keeping feet dry and mm-hmm. warm and we, I, we didn't really do anything fancy i mean wolf wool socks like i never even did that i wore the same nike running socks did you yeah that i you know 
that my feet were just freezing hmm. in Kansas. I wore the regular socks, and my feet never sweated out, didn't get cold. Hmm. Well, I and it was real feel 20 below zero whenever <laughs> we killed this buck, so it worked. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know you didn't have different socks because I wear, like, a merino hiking sock pretty much all season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, I'd say it's overkill, but I really like those socks. The, the brand that I wear is the Darn Tough, and the reason I buy them is, like, they have a warranty where if you get a hole in them, you can send them back, and they'll, like, give you a new pair. Actually, I might have been wearing my Darn Tough socks. Well, maybe you were. I think I saw you with a pair of them on, so. I because right now I'm wearing Nike running socks, but I'm pretty sure I wore the darn tufts the whole time. I think actually, so not a regular Nike cotton sock. But, but yours was, but yours socks the one that pair that you had on, if I remember them correct, because I think I have the same pair. They're, they're like blue. a lighter version. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. like a pretty light one. But wearing those has helped me a lot. I know some people, you know, wear double socks. Some people wear uh, like a foot warmer or something in there as well. I personally don't like doing that. My feet generally don't get too cold. Like, I I actually ended up wearing my regular hiking boots that I always wear that aren't insulated. They're just waterproof. I ended up wearing those the whole time, and I stayed warm enough. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was still chilly, but um, I think just having room to move, mm-hmm. a little bit of room to move. Like, I wear a um, – I have a wide foot, so I wear a – I wear well, the size I wear is 11 wide, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And yeah. Because my foot's wide, they fit me really well, but I still have a little bit of room to move, and that helps me keep good circulation, I think. And for whatever reason, that just has worked well for me. But you know, other tips would definitely be wear you know a good sock, put a you know slide a little foot warmer in there, or um, they also have those like boot covers. Like if you're going to be doing a setup or a sitting hunt where you're not active, they have like those slip booties. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be a really good option as well. Um, I mean, I think knowing what your style is and what type of hunt you're going to go on may kind of change whatever strategy you go with there for your feet. But the reason I w- wore a lighter hiking boot and the boot that Nick had was basically just a beefed up version of what I was wearing is is just still hunting and moving around a lot and I mean just hunting extremely mobile it's nice to have a boot that you can move your ankle in that's my opinion I mean I know everybody has a a different preference on boots and I think that's I think that's the right answer I don't think you should necessarily just wear a specific boot because somebody else is Mm -hmm. your foot might not be the same yeah and that's that was my only hesitation with getting you the pair that we ended up going with is that i don't know that your foot is gonna like it the same way mine does so that i think that's always um number one you know just figure out what works for you i would say the same thing with like a bow you know it's Mm -hmm. like (laughs) figure out what bow works for you and like go with that yeah don't overthink it so same thing with the boots and you know, being mobile like that, I just feel like I try not to get too warm to where I'm sweating because as soon as I stop, then it's bad. So I kind of run a little cold that way. But, um, the other thing that we did was, oh, I guess hand wise, we just bulked up on gloves. Yeah. 
I wore fingerless mittens, so where the mitten kind of flips back and forth, and you can they were fingerless. Uh, I wore those. I had a hand muffler deal that yeah. I never used. I ended up taking it off. Um, but I would just, you know, cover my fingertips when I wasn't needing to operate the camera, and then when I was operating, I you just, you know, dealt with it. But honestly, whenever stuff would happen, my adrenaline would run, and my fingers would be ungold oh, imme- yeah. immediately. Oh yeah. It, it, it's funny that you never used your hand muffler. <laughs> What's it called? I, I don't know. I've called it a hand muffler the whole my whole life. I just I, what what I guess I don't even really know what it is called. Hand Is it a hand know. muff? Muffle? Maybe muff, but muffler just sounded funny muffler. to me, so. Yeah. I think muffler. my dad's always called it a muffler. Just like I call a beanie a toboggan. And I, I didn't realize that a toboggan's actually a sled. Yeah, until but, somebody from Minnesota told me that. So, pretty interesting thing. My family always said that when I was growing up. We never said beanie. We said toboggan. Yeah, never, toboggan. Yeah. I don't yeah, know why uh, why that is or, like, how that becomes, like, a, a thing. I also say theater. Theater. <laughs> that's, that's right. The hand muffler for me was a game changer, really. And I don't own one. I was bumming one from Mitch, but I'm definitely going to buy one now. The thing that I liked about it is I was able to wear a lighter glove in some situations where I felt like I might be getting a shot and close, like a close quarter setup, for example, and I could keep my hands in there. And then as soon as I got them out, I was, you know, more like how I practice with mm-hmm. my bow all summer. People practice with gloves on and stuff, but honestly, I don't do that. I'm not, I, I'm, I think that it's a great idea. I think you should practice like you shoot in real life, but it's also one of those deals where I don't practice with gloves in the summer mm-hmm. and, it, and, you know, a lot of the season too, I don't wear gloves, or if I do, they're fingerless or barely a thread hanging yep. together. You've seen some mm-hmm. of those gloves that I oh, wear. Yeah. They're they're oh yeah. They're just kind of breaking up things more than anything, and it doesn't really change the way my grip is. But when you're holding a bow, I think that your hands are really really important. And there's some mm-hmm. there's some hard lessons learned on this hunt that we're definitely going to loop back to. But you know, you can put a hand warmer to in your hand muffler <laughs> and i think that that is it like enough to keep your hands warm for the most part if you're kind of sitting around standing around like that that's definitely nice but if you're constantly holding your bow you know you don't have a place to set set your bow down or put it on a hanger or something in a stand and you're just constantly holding that bow, you're definitely going to want a heavy glove because hand-on metal is brutal. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I mean, I know people that hunt in these situations all the time definitely know all these things, but if you find yourself to where you got unique weather or your first time hunting late season, I think all these things are you, – you, you really don't want to overlook them because you might lose an opportunity or – you know, have to leave early or something, and I just think that your hands are definitely important, but just being conscious of that style, I think, mm-hmm. plays into that, too. Like, am I going to be setting up in a stand where I've got a hanger and I can keep my hands on, you know, in my muffler and, and warm, or, you know, am I going to be holding my bow the whole time? And, you know, I think that differed for us quite a bit, but yep. I liked the I liked having the muffler. They're kind of a pain just because they're, you know, another thing on your body, yep. and I don't love that but another bulk yeah but i was able to kind of just put it 
like basically on my belly button height and then when I would bend over it really wouldn't get in the way at mm-hmm. all so I didn't feel too bad about it and you know it definitely helped me in that situation but um, the hand warmers are a big th- big thing too like I just usually wind up putting one right in my palm so then I can just you know squeeze my hands together in a fist and pretty much just always have finger warmth Mm -hmm. so you know throughout the hunt if you're making moves with your hands exposed you can just always reach back down in there and i like fingerless gloves probably for the same reason nick does like i'm i'm a lot of times i'm running a camera Mm -hmm. so it's like having the full dexterity and being able to punch those buttons is really important but i also like it for shooting a bow i like feeling my release you know really Mm -hmm feeling all the details of that because if not i feel like it just kind of makes your shot sloppier so i think that's the biggest struggle that i see when bow hunting in the cold is is hands Mm -hmm. i think that's probably the hardest part and not to mention that the fingerless gloves just makes you look sick (laughs) (laughs) you know it is funny i do kind of like the look of a fingerless glove it's just kind of like some cross between like i don't know just it just looks yeah, cool, yeah. man. Just it looks, looks tough. Looks better. <laughs> when I was in the Marine Corps, I used to get yelled at all the time because I had mechanics gloves. Or uh-huh. like it's called brand is called mechanics. Yep. Like I, I had a pair with uh, uh, like mold over the knuckles, so like <laughs> you could hit something with your and it's not gonna break your knuckles or whatever. And I cut the fingers off all of them because I was like, it just looks cool. I mean, <laughs> rule number one is just look cool no matter what you're doing. <laughs> And even if you're wrong, at least you just look cool. So <laughs> I remember I got yelled at by my first sergeant one time, and I don't remember what we were doing. Oh, yeah, we were doing some hike or whatever, and he saw my fingerless gloves, and he's like, Andrews! And he had told me the day before to throw them away and um, buy new ones. And I, th- I was a corporal at the time, and he's like, Corporal Andrews! He says, I guess, I guess we just don't have to do what first sergeant says. I guess, and he's just going on and on. Anyways, yeah, because fingerless gloves and I look cool. So, <laughs> but just neither here nor there. Again, squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, what ended up happening? And that what happened? Like, did you guys to me? Yeah, did you? Oh, end I, up, I went and bought new gloves that had fingers. So he just, but there was no like uh, actual punishment. He just kind of no. He just you know berated me in front of it. everybody. Yeah. So. Just a good, just a good ass chewing to really kind of get you going. While you got a sixty-five pound ruck on your back and you're on mile, you know, or kilometer twelve of a twenty k, a twenty kilometer hike. Yeah, yeah. Just really kind of screams, hey. screams reenlist. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, at least you look cool, right? Yeah, I might have been getting my ass chewed out, but rule number one is I look cool while I was doing it. So. Fingerless gloves is the new cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so, any other tips that you got for hands that you can um, think of that would be good? Hand warmers. If you're going to have one thing at all, a hand warmer, I'd yeah. say. The other thing is, if, if in an emergency, down your pants or get them on your body. Yeah. Like, getting them in, on body heat is... Yeah, that's definitely huge. important. If you're if you're freezing, like the yeah, one day we were hunting, I guess on the first trip and the last day that we were there, 
the day before rifle season it had dropped significantly and it was just a really nice crisp morning kind of that i don't know traditionally for me at least not maybe not from texas but for me that crisp like rut early november feel Mm -hmm. and i had the fingerless gloves on which were light and that pair was all ripped up barely on at all and we got in one of those situations where there was a couple antlerless deer looking at us and like couldn't figure us out because they couldn't get our wind it was so calm and we just sat frozen still didn't move at all and they just kept hanging out and getting closer and closer and closer and finally they started throwing a fit and all that for the you know for us to ultimately just fail and lose the game they won the battle and they blow and run out of there and Keith and I immediately just looked at each other like, pain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I stuck my hands, you know, right on my body, directly on it, and it was, you know, my my core wasn't cold at all, but my hands were wrecked. And that was like one of those deals where, like you were telling earlier about your feet, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know that I'm going to recover from this. And, you know, I think it's easy to panic in that situation and be yeah. like, I'm too cold, but it ends up coming back but man it hurt for like several minutes and i mean i'm ultimately just a huge weenie when it comes to the cold i'm sure there's people out there that are like dude whatever yeah you know a 30 degree morning is nothing but you know when you're not used to it it definitely or it's or it's like the first time it gets cold all season on you it's like yeah it definitely it's hard to adjust to Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess as far as hands go, can't think of anything off the top of my hand. There, There is something that we'll talk about, but we're going to revisit. Mm-hmm. We're going to revisit because we're going to tell a story on it. But, um, yeah, and then just keeping, you know, a neck gaiter on for me is a huge thing when it yep. comes to what gear I'm, I'm wearing on me that's unique. Like, I wear a light neck gaiter a lot just in case the wind starts blowing a little bit more or the sun's shining on me or something. I can just pull that thing up and cover my face a little bit. But on this hunt, I definitely had a heavier-duty one. I Mm -hmm. wore my light one and then my heavy one over top of it. Nick had one he loved. Yeah, loved that thing. That was a – that thing's a hammer. It's like almost like a scarf. It is. I didn't realize it until I started, you know, wore it for a day or so, but I – it is very scarfish, mm-hmm. and when I like roll it down to get it off of my chin, whenever I get warm, I can roll it down, and it just kind of, it made this huge just loop around my neck, <laughs> which is kind of at times I was like this is a little absurd, but I actually really like it, you know, loose fitting like that, yeah. not not like constricting, yeah, just sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that also helps keep a lot of heat like in in your shirts and stuff like yeah, it, it keeps it from it. getting out like right on, on your shoulders right at the back of your neck right there that's where i feel a lot of heat mm-hmm. escaping that doesn't you know and then or that's where you feel that real cold blast of air get right down there between your shoulder blades at least that's for me mm-hmm. well and something i do i mean this only goes for people with hair but I take that neck gaiter when it's really cold. I don't know if you notice if I do this mm-hmm. or not. When it's really cold, I keep my hair in it. Yeah. And it, my hair on the back of my neck with the um, neck gaiter just... The compression of the neck gaiter. so yeah. warm. It's so warm. And I... So I am very anti-hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know that. I really don't like hoods. And I'll, like, I'll pick a lot on... 
person that I'm hunting with if they're wearing their hood too much. I didn't with you, though. I yeah, kind of yeah. let you just get away with it, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, maybe, and as I'm saying that and thinking about it, I shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, you see, <laughs> uh, I was hooded up when that monster eight-point came by <laughs> us that day. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I was like a ghost, and I was hooded up. So, I mean, <laughs> teach their own. Yeah, and the reason I don't like it is I just want to be able to hear as best as I po- you know, the best I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I got a funny little side story for you. One time, we were turkey hunting in Tennessee, 2020 season, and we we're up on, way up on this ridge. It was still dark when we were sitting up there waiting, and it was Colin, Keith, and I. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, when you're listening for turkeys, you want to be able to hear the best you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I look over at Colin, and he's sitting on his butt, legs crossed, and his head down in between his legs with two hoods on him. And I'm just like, what is this guy doing over there? And I said, I think I even made a comment like, that's our buddy ears over there. And I always gave Colin, I've always given Colin a hard time about hoods, and I think he eventually got the memo that I don't like him, which I, they definitely have a purpose, but really, I think he, I think your ears are a huge, huge tool when hunting. Well, I mean, they were for this buck that we just killed. Yeah, I mean, totally. That's what gave us the edge was our ears. Mm-hmm. To to combat that, you know, hair definitely helps me. And if you can't grow it, I'm sorry. And if you can, then you know, just grow your hair out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the net gator and a you know heavy hat really is mm-hmm. kind of combo enough. to cover you up if you if you situate them right so i just think that is important you can still leave your ears out and you can have most of your ears exposed or covered up so you don't have the tops of your ears exposed but you can still have the whole of your ear open you know and not covered up yeah i think the the hood is that's the duck hunter coming out in me (laughs) i've always wearing a hood yeah yeah, I mean, it, it makes more sense for that when you're just using your eyes. You're not necessarily listening. I mean, wait, wait, well, I, listen. I do it because when it's cold, you know, ideally you have your wind at your back. Yeah. That's hitting you in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And then so I throw that hood up. Yeah. But I I feel I've done it so much, I feel confident that I can hear pretty good. And I know when to uncover my ears. I know there's situations like i got to be able to hear better or I feel, you know, hindered it, by it. And I'll un, unhood myself. but. Right. If I can stand to wear it, I'm usually going to have that thing on. <laughs> like, even, like, just when we've been riding in the truck, I have it on all the time. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. I feel like I can hear better with a hood on than I can hear than when I'm breathing through my nose. <laughs> when I'm trying <laughs> when I'm trying to really hear a bird gobble way off or, mm-hmm. like, whatever, I'm sneaking through the woods. I quit breathing through my nose. Because I feel like it's like, yeah, and it takes what so I breathe through my mouth. And I can breathe through my mouth super, super quiet, where it doesn't affect my hearing. And I think it's like your nose is in a way connected to your ears. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. and so it like that can affect your hearing. Where if I just breathe through my mouth. It's straight in and out of, you know, your esophagus, and it, it's not affecting my ears. Yeah, I definitely open my mouth, I think, when I'm listening. Perk up a little bit and so, try real hard. Just I don't like know. try to hear real, I don't know how to ever say that. Like, how do you say that you're trying to hear 
real hard. I'm try- trying I'm real hard. hard. I'm hearing hard. <laughs> listening. <laughs> I'm in- listening intently. Intently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I'm, I definitely hear better with a hood on than I hear when I breathe through my nose. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, anyway, I guess past the gear. I can't really think of anything else there, but uh, I guess the first hunt that we had that was real crazy and we have a major lesson learned in for for cold weather hunting. So that morning we woke up and got to the public land and pretty much immediately saw a monster buck crossing Mm -hmm. the road. And we were just like, whoa definitely in the game right now and we we kind of weren't ready to be in the game we definitely had a bathroom break before us we had forgot a microphone for that i needed for Mm -hmm. you know filming the hunts and everything and it was just like oh no like we got to go back and ended up going back and you know took care of those things and by the time we got back to that block it was about 40 minutes later and we got on the south side where we were going to approach you know, the buck that we had just seen, we figured we'd kind of go on the other side of where we just saw him. So we we're now on the south side of the block and we just turned down that road pretty much right away. You mm-hmm. were like, there's, there's a deer in the road. And I pull up the binos and it's another big buck. And he goes into the public. And I think, I don't, I guess we don't know for sure if it was the same or if it was a different buck or not, but it kind of seemed like it was. Yeah, I'm going with like I'm 75 percent sure it was a different buck, mm-hmm. but there's still a pretty good chance that it could have been the same one. But he had another one with him. Yep. If it was the same one, now he's got another one. So there's either two or three, you know, shooter bucks in this piece, mm-hmm. and we basically just got in there and went to where we last saw him and tried a calling sequence. Nothing came in in that calling sequence i think we rattled and or grunted and rattled Mm -hmm. and then we moved more into the center of the piece where we felt like the best bedding cover was or closer to that and we tried another calling sequence but the problem was is there was so much wind and snow coming down and it was so cold that like it just didn't feel like the sound was traveling at all and we were freezing and also, the tracks, the fresh tracks looked exactly the same as tracks that had happened, you know, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. It all just was covered up immediately. Within five minutes, you couldn't tell the difference between a track yep. even. So we really weren't able to, you know, figure out where the deer went after we saw him cross the road. And we just felt like the best option we had was to go back, warm up, continue covering different ground with the vehicle, and just more aggressive approach of you know moving through a whole piece real fast and just trying several different calling setups that we did that pretty much the middle of the day and then that evening we were going to go set up um right on a really hard edge it was essentially just a grassy area that met up with an aspen patch just like a really really hard line and that went for a long way so we figured bucks would be you know cruising up and down that edge and i think the first (laughs) the really first problem was when we went away from the original plan Mm -hmm. the original plan was get out there and kind of do a 
observations set up, but also bring a full body decoy in there. And I think had we done that, there's a really good chance the outcome of this hunt would have been much different. Yeah. And we decided not to do it. We felt like maybe we were running a little bit too late and kind of just let that get, just kind of let that, I know I let that get in my head. I don't know if that was in your head, but. Yeah, the the running late part really kind of started wearing on me. And I was thinking, man, this is kind of not ideal. We had spent too much time over there at our previous, you know, middle of the day set. And, yeah, I think we would have had the decoy in there. That, that buck would have absolutely been on top of that thing that particular deer yeah and i um but yeah so i was i was a little down that we had i felt like we had kind of missed our window at a really good set yeah well and it it was it was funny because once we got in there i feel like i felt like man we actually did have the time to do this i overthought it Mm -hmm. and should have just committed to that idea but then we didn't and what I did have, though, is this uh, decoy on my bow. So my arrow goes through the decoy, and my sight goes through the decoy, and my stabilizer, I believe, are the things that are, like, yeah. through the middle of this decoy. And it's pretty light, honestly. It, it's real close to the bow. The profile of it is very manageable, and you can take it through thick stuff easily, and it just... You know, all around seems like a, you know, a pretty, pretty handy little deal, and is nice for cover too. You can just almost use it as cover as deer are coming in, because if they're looking at you and you just they think you're another deer, it's not going to be alarming to them. It's not always the best option, especially if it's a like a deer that you don't want to shoot. Um, but I just. I just think overall it's a nice little option for, for cover. And in this situation, it seemed like it was going to work really well in our favor because the conditions were the same as they were that morning. We're having really gusty winds with um, snow coming down, snow getting blown around, and probably, what, 15 degrees, 20 degrees? Oh, uh, that day? <laughs> I don't remember how cold it was. Uh, yeah, I think it got up to 20. Yeah, it got up to 20 that day. That's as hot <sighs> as it got. Whew. And uh, But at that point, it was dropping fast. I bet it was you know, back to single digits or so by then. Is there anything else you remember about the conditions that day? I guess, I guess uh, cloudy, yeah, I it was. Say. It was very cloudy, just dark. Mm-hmm. And then there's that blow and snow made it damn near impossible to see. But that was going to hopefully work in our favor. So yep. we thought if we needed to, we'd be able to make a move. So I think that's why, you know, I guess ultimately we decided not to take that decoy. It was the time and the the conditions made us feel like, you know, we could get away with what we brought in there. And we got back in there and we got to this aspen patch that was pretty small that ran parallel to that edge of the grass and the aspen line that we thought the bucks would be cruising 
The problem was, and why we were thinking the decoy originally, is we were about 50 yards from that hard edge. So mm -hmm. any buck cruising down it was going to be out of bow range. We were going to have to either call him to us or make a move on it. And, you know, again, this decoy thing kind of felt like that was a, you know, bow decoy felt like that was going to work for those conditions and set up. And we got there, and there wasn't as much cover as we had hoped. It, the best way to describe it is a bunch of small trees that were all pretty uniform but had no cover at the bases yep. of them other than a little bit of grass and snow. Yeah, there was two patches of tall grass Yep, in it, right where I was sitting and then right where you were sitting. Yep, and we originally got in and made a little setup and Nick tucked up against some of the slightly bigger trees that were a little close together and he, he did blend in really well there um maybe not perfect but surprisingly well for as little cover as it was and i was sitting up a little bit in front of him with a little bit more grass in front of me and we were about probably what three four or five yards apart i think we were more than that on the first setup on the first like the original time we sat down before I moved oh, away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, maybe three yards. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it looked the setup looked like about two yards from a mowed path on the property boundary going on a straight line north and south. And we're sitting there with the wind coming quartered off that aspen line to us and then across the path but behind us so like you know anything that was moving out in front of us would have no chance at mm -hmm. smelling us and the, the again the setup was pretty good i didn't feel great about it and then i started thinking well maybe if we maybe if we split up a little bit it'll break us up enough and and if i move over here a little bit away from nick I'll be able to watch both directions. I'll be able to watch the way that we were facing originally straight into the wind, but I'll also be able to look more to the south um, and really have a huge view of this whole area. Truly a, a great observation setup. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I banked on a little bit too much is that because we were 50 yards from that edge, I felt like we were going to have to call to something and make a move. I was like well let's set ourselves up for an observation set versus a you know kill him in a spot and I, I think you even said too at one point well i don't think we're gonna kill one just walking right past us yeah i said one's not just gonna walk right past us yeah but was i wrong <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to make a move or or call yeah and i think maybe after 20 minutes in our original spot we did this split up and we both had good enough cover, and, and really then I was amazed at how much Nick blended in. So he moved up to where I was sitting, just mm -hmm. in that grass, and he's wearing this full-on snow camo. And at the time, he had his hood up, but it was his, like, sweatshirt hood, and it yep. was black. And from 10 yards away, he was completely gone except for he had a floating head. That hoodie was real visible so i <laughs> actually called him we yeah. were like <laughs> eight yards apart i don't know 10 yards apart and i call him and i'm just like hey put your hood up like uh -huh. your white hood up you know because because that was contrasting and made him stick out so he puts the hood up and then right away it was, it was 
clear to me that a deer wasn't going to see him. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the full snow cover. I didn't have the pants on. I just felt like the pants were kind of obstructing my movement a little bit, and I didn't like it, and I just took them off. And I was a little bit more concerned about them seeing me, but I had the decoy on my bow, so yep. I, again, feel pretty confident there. So about a half hour before dark, maybe a little bit sooner than, or you know, earlier than a half hour before dark, this doe comes out. She's a pretty young doe. I don't know that I would call her a fawn, but I don't think she was two. Yeah. So either a year, but year and a half, maybe, maybe a fawn. I'm not even totally sure because she was yeah. one very big. But she comes out and she pays like zero attention to us over in our setup, and I'm like, yeah, she just can't see. She was probably 40 yards at her closest. It's like she just can't see over here, and the wind and the snow coming down is way too much for her to pick us out over here. And I had that decoy out, and she, you know, I would say in a different condition, would have definitely had a yeah. better time seeing. So. She comes out and she kind of works across the, that property line, and um, it was—I don't know, maybe yeah, it was, I don't know. It was, it was a little bit later, but still plenty of plenty of daylight. It was still probably a good ten, fifteen minutes before dark, dark, and looked up and, or actually, I guess you saw saw him first. Yeah. He came from the right from the private onto the public and I hear Nick whistle and I look up and he's po- he points like you know signals over here and I look up and immediately it's just like yep I have no idea what like sort of antlers that yep. thing has but I'm like he's a shooter all I saw I looked over there and it is super super dark like his he was almost like black you mm-hmm. know it was so dark gray mm-hmm. and i just saw a huge body super dark and could tell from that distance 100 yards or whatever he was you know that he had some pretty good looking <laughs> herns up there so and that's when i immediately i didn't even have a chance to like kind of glass it yet or you know get the camera on it i just whistled to you and you looked at me and immediately picked him up and then i found him again and glassed him and that's when i was like oh my god this is <laughs> this is a really big deer right here i saw him and i immediately started moving towards him because i knew that i had to get back towards nick and my original plan was is i was just going to work right down that mode trail where i was going to be really really quiet and just pretty much just read his body language and only move when he wasn't looking at me and that way he wasn't going to catch the movement. But my thought was is I'll just keep getting closer and closer. And then eventually when he sees me, I'll just, you know, tuck behind this decoy and see if he commits to it. Well, he ended up making a few quick moves right away, but I could tell he wasn't looking. So I was able to get some ground and I made it several yards back towards Nick. the last thing he did was he looked away from us and I really regret not just going more with my gut on this one because I thought he looked away from us and then I was like wait did he really look away or is he looking right at us and it was one of those deals where with everything going on we also can't see all that well Mm -hmm. so I just really couldn't make it out 
and I, I knew he looked the other way deep down, and I just hesitated, and I wish I would have made a few more yards there because that definitely would have would have made a difference as well. But I hesitated, and when he looked back our direction, he just pretty much immediately took off running, mm-hmm. and now he's coming right at us, <laughs> and he's coming right down that mode path. And, again, so much going on with the snow and the wind, and now he's running. I was like, I got nothing to lose. If I'm where I'm at right now, he's going to get past me. I got to make a move right at him. So I just go right towards the buck. And I really wish that I had a way. I wish we'd have been able to film it. But honestly, our GoPros were so cold that they just weren't even lasting. They were turning off immediately. Uh And I would have had an angle on myself, which would have been cooler. But that stupid GoPro, you know, I don't know. Be careful if you're going to get a GoPro. Just know their battery life is rough keep when it ba- comes to. <laughs> yeah, to keep your charged batteries at the ready. It's, it's Yeah, it's really rough. And I, I wish I would have been able to film more of it because it, it would have been cool. But I guess you just have to hear my, my version of it. Like, as he's running, I'm making these steps toward toward him and I'm, picking a spot that I'm trying to get to where I feel like if I get to that spot I'm going to be able to find a lane. If he keeps coming all the way down here I'll be able to find a lane. And I get to that spot and he's still just trotting, you know, just doing a a trot I would say. Gallop. Yeah, he wasn't running. He was just trotting. Yep. And I I slide into that spot bow out in front of me with that decoy and I look down to my release and at that point he was still just trotting look at my release and there's a big ball of ice right in the middle of you know the, the clip on and i look back up to check him and he's still running so i just took the release and i like put it in my mouth and just got spit on it and it heated it up enough to where i could then crush that ice out of it and you can hear in my mic because i've played played mm-hmm. the mic clip back you can hear my mic me doing all that you can hear me put it in my mouth and then start clicking it well i finally get it on and clipped on and by the time i look back up he's already making it past where i can get a lane and what really sucks about it is is i got to that position i wanted to I felt like I had plenty of time to draw because I had already gotten in my position and where I got to, I not only had some lanes, but I had the, the range where I could, or the, like, uh, the range isn't the word. I had the ability to move without bumping into anything. Like, mm-hmm. that was the target spot. It was like, it's super aggressive. It's really low cover. There's not a lot of good things about this other than I'm going to be able to shoot. Yeah. And... The fact that I even felt like I had the time to draw back because when I got in position, he was running. I looked at my release to clip it on, and by the time I realized the release was, you know, frozen, and I looked back up and still, and he's still running, I, I could have been drawn at that yeah. point. Now, what I will never know for sure is what that opportunity would have looked like, but when I didn't get drawn even it was like it just leaves it up to the unknown yeah it's like i mean the what if you yeah. know yeah and i mean 
I don't think that that's an excuse. Don't feel sorry for us or me or anything. It's, I totally messed up. And why I messed up is because I went to practice draw earlier and the same thing had happened. So I knew better. I had no excuse. I have zero excuse. So stupid and please learn from that. Just keep your release on heat. So that was kind of one of the things I was going to revisit, I guess, yeah. was like what I did differently then is I kept it in my sleeve and I never, I actually never even ended up having to do anything but that. But what I was going to do also is keep a hand warmer in my release hand and just always stand there with the release up against that hand warmer, right yeah. in my palm. That, those were the two solutions that I had to that problem. But I should have done that the first time and should have just put it in my muffler and just paid way more attention to it than what I did. But I don't know. I, I, there's, there's another, there's three things that I feel like I really, that I guess just stick out to me as things we could have done, done differently there. One could have taken better care of the release. Mm -hmm. Two, we could have brought that full body decoy in. And I know had we done that, we would have committed to a setup yep. and we wouldn't have been split up like that. Not that that was the end of the world, but because of the, you know, um, because of what happened, I feel like everything just ended up being more of a challenge. I still think we were, we, we got ourselves in the game until the release thing happened, but I know we would have been committed to a setup mm -hmm. that he likely would have came into. And he really would have had a hard time getting downwind of us just the way that, yep. you know, the path of least resistance would have set up there. Yeah, I think if I think if we would have had that decoy, we would have set up on the other side of that mode path in that patch of woods right there. That, other, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think that would have been probably one of the better opportunities. Yep. Yeah, just like right up against the, the fence, basically. Mm -hmm. of the There was a fence line that was the, the actual boundary. And... If you were to get your back right against that fence, you would have been able to pull off a little setup. And it was something that we'd even talked about doing, but we didn't. And had we done that, we would have had him right in front of us the same exact way. You yeah. know, it, it would have been just as good of a spot. And, like, I think the final thing um, was splitting up, you know. Had we just not got – I think – I don't know. I feel like I got greedy. I was like, well, if I move over here, I'll be able to see a lot. Yeah. And I was like, Nick can stay there where, you know, he can still see a lot in that direction, but I could see both spots and, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it actually worked out better that I went over there though, because you were able to get cool, cooler footage yeah. of him from where you, you were because Nick had I been right where Nick was, I mean, he really did run five yards past Nick. So it's just like, tough one. But then, yeah, I don't know. Tell your version of, I want to hear your version of, like, the beginning of the next day. Or in, yeah. like, I guess what, yeah. what happened after all that. Yeah, after all that, you know, we had, you know, our little pity party because we missed an opportunity at, at that deer and, it wasn't just you. I was having it myself. So it, <laughs> I was definitely, you know, having the woe is me fight in my head because I wanted that. I wanted to film that deer being shot so bad. So I was I was bummed. I, I don't think I was as bummed as you were, but I was, I was pretty bummed and was really feeling it the next morning. 
So the next morning rolls around, our buddy Mitch shows up just right on time, and me and Zach are nowhere close to trying to even get up. <laughs> and he comes in and makes coffee and is chatting us up, and he's, I mean, just as happy as a lark and excited. And me and Zach are just both being bums. And I was laying there thinking the same thing you were thinking, and you were just like, you know, we're just, we're dragging ass is exactly <laughs> what we were doing. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because, like, I love Mitch, and I totally, like, think it's awesome that he's got this positive attitude, and he's being all excited for us and, you know, just trying to keep our spirits high and whatever. But he's kind of just annoying, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I think I'm just, like, in my head, I'm just like, Mitch, just shut up. No, I'm not, like, you think he said at one point, you ready to kill a big buck today? And I was just like, no. I mean, my release will probably get frozen. Like, just yeah. being just being a weenie. Just like, ah, yeah, I'm not but, uh, having a good attitude. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't ready to get out of bed. And I was tired because we stayed up late the night before. I was like, I, I just wasn't ready to get up. Yeah. I wanted to keep sleeping and wait till daylight and it was a little warmer and, and then go find one and be in a better mood. Um, so that's how the day started for me. And then continued that way until mitch called us and you know until we found that deer we ended up hunting yep i stayed in that mood until we found that and then once we found it it's like i never thought about it again (laughs) i was i was just excited that we were on a we were on another buck that fast yep so i guess one additional or a couple additional things to get into that point like i feel like i was i was having a bad time with it and then it started getting daylight, and Mitch was still still hanging out talking, and we were, like, kind of talking about a game plan or whatever. And ultimately, we were just going to, you know, go a couple different directions in the same, like, public area and just kind of just go from there, I guess. We didn't really make much of a plan past that. And I remember having been feeling pessimistic and also just feeling like, um what 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 am I trying to say here? Pessimistic and stressed out about a strategy, like stressed out about are we gonna walk in somebody somewhere and try to glass? Are we gonna glass from the road? That finally I was like, you know what, Zach, just chill out. Like you gotta just give it all up. Mm-hmm. You missed an opportunity to big buck, but today's a new day de- today's a new day and like if you keep having this attitude, you're not even gonna have fun. So just give it up, you know truck past us he's in a hurry we're glassing down in to this pretty much open area but it has some big patches of cattails and alder brush and then dogwood mixed in as well i would say those three species are like the main yeah uh plants out there and you know it's really really interesting because you'll see them and then you think you're going to keep eyes on them, and then they'll just disappear for yeah. a really long time. Um, it, it's kind of a hard thing to glass through, and it's a f- super frustrating area to glass because it's really hard to keep tabs on them, which is definitely my preference. Like, mm-hmm. if, if we glass one, I really, really like to know exactly where he is. And without knowing that, it's uh, tough to commit. And this is an area, too, I guess I should note as well that Keith and I had observed this multiple times. I would say really like three 
three or more times. And we saw deer in it every time, but we never saw a buck that we were wanting to chase. I guess maybe one time we did, but it was he was really far, and it was at very last light, and we didn't really have time. Like, we didn't even get footage of him. Yeah. He was way out there. I could barely th- see him through the spotter, but it looked like a really nice buck. So other than that, we knew those were in this area, but that's what you know made us go over there in the first place that day is like we know there's does there it's and it's a place that we can see a lot from and if we're patient maybe we'll get eyes on one well again we're mitch is on one side and i'm on the other and i start picking up deer moving into some cattails and i see what looks like a shooter buck go into those cattails and i didn't really know much about them still at this point but it was like that's that's a shooter and i could just see white antlers which is opposite of the buck that we had seen the yeah. night before that just had totally dark antlers. Uh, I don't know. At that point, it was probably only like 8 o'clock. Yeah. And it's one degree, and it's so, so painfully cold for us that it's really hard to just commit to going in there. And at this point, the wind is just starting to pick up. It was blowing, I would say, gusting like 10 miles an hour. Yeah, not much. But there was a bunch of open fields, and it was really, really open, like, crop country, and it was just kind of floating across that, it seemed like, and picking up speed and then moving the grass around a little bit. And that was kind of nice that it was picking up, but really without knowing exactly where this buck was, because last we saw they were on the move, we didn't feel totally confident going in there. And we were just also cold. And we ended up kind of cruising around, looking at it from different angles, and then... um we also talked to Mitch and kind of triangulated, I guess, where we thought he might be. Mm-hmm. And we pretty much thought he was right in the middle of this big patch of cattails. But all, the other thing we did was drive around to make sure that the tracks weren't ever crossing the road. Yep. So we were confirming with visual and looking for tracks, telling us if they cro- crossed the road or did not cross the road. And it appeared that they did not. And we never saw him leave this patch. So we had decided that we could crawl in there, the wind in our favor, a little bit of shadow in our favor, and maybe try rattling or grunting blindly, but knowing he's somewhere out there yep. and see if he committed. But it was also always, I think, in the back of our minds that we would like to get another visual on him. But we decided that we were going to do this, so we parked a good ways away, and we jumped in Mitch's truck, and he was just going to drop us off, and we were going to be able to basically just make our move from the road and i was thinking that we would get there on the road and stand there where we could make no noise and just listen for 10 minutes or so and just see if we could ever hear them in there because that would be you know just as good as a visual really if we Mm -hmm. were hearing some sort of running or chasing or grunting and we got in mitch's truck and we made like an extra little loop because I was like, I don't know that I'm ready. Like my feet got cold just from moving the stuff over from my truck to his truck. It was just bone chilling. (laughs) Brutally cold. So we go down, turn around. We're making the final drive down to where we're about to hop out and try this setup. And I look to the left and I see just a tiny little bit of back, you know, horizontal against the vertical grass. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We look over and can't see anything and back up and Nick gets eyes on it briefly, but nobody else sees it. And we end up 
getting up out of the truck and standing on the running boards and looking over the truck. And now we can see plain as day, there's this little buck down there, and he's sticking his neck out looking in the same spot, and he's not looking away from it. It's like, man, there's a really good chance mm-hmm. that that's where that bigger buck is. And sure enough, yeah, I mean, not 30 seconds after we stood up there, here he comes out of the cattails. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're yeah. on now. <laughs> So I immediately, <laughs> I immediately jumped down, put that decoy on the bow, and, like, it was game on. Like, that was the perfect opportunity because we yep. could take this decoy that looks exactly like that little buck and just go right at him, right to where we last saw him. And we jump back. I jump back up there once I get the decoy on. I look at, you know, where I'd just seen the deer, and Nick's like, I just he just went into the cattails, and I pulled up, and I saw him disappear into the thick again so we immediately just jump off the road make it down through a little bit kind of talk about the game plan and where we last saw him and then we just start moving right to where we last saw him and this is probably the setup ended up probably being about 150 yards from the road Mm -hmm. and several like layers of alder and dogwood in, you know, just kind of mixed throughout there. We just kind of hopped our way through that. And we got to this point where we had a little bit of shade, but basically no cover. I mean, no real front cover. And the only back cover we had was the sun in this alder bush that was blocking the sun. And that was about it. Yeah. I mean, it was so minimal. It's, hard to explain Mm -hmm. but we did take what we could get with that shadow i think that's a big part of it but we also had full-on snow camo full snow camo head to toe and seriously it's amazing to me how much nick just blended in so he's right off my right shoulder and i've got that decoy in front of me on my bow arrow knocked so we're now i think we would guess 80 yards from where we last saw him yeah, we're like 80 yards, and that's why in my head I was like, 20 more yards would be good. Because mm-hmm. then if we're on, if we're 60 yards off the edge, I think we can pull him that last little bit, you know. And that would have been the last little alder bush too before mm-hmm. the cattails. So I was thinking 20 is good, and it ended up not being <laughs> what we needed to do. Even it, it well, wasn't it, needed, and it's it's crazy too because. That was a classic temporary setup. What mm-hmm. I would call a temporary setup in, you know, a yeah. super mobile it ground a, hunt. It was a tactical pause. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was. And we just had just enough, obviously, to pull it off, but really wasn't where we wanted to be, I don't think. And I asked Nick, I'm like, what do you think we should do next? And he says, I think we should get another 20 yards. And I'd already been thinking that. So I kind of just didn't say anything, mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, let's do that next. But. I was like, man, I don't want to get too aggressive here. And there's probably no sense in rushing in here because we're talking, we're we're minutes after we've last seen him. Like, he's got to be close. And I just decided that I would check my mic, make sure I had enough battery on it. And I checked it, and I didn't have enough battery where I, I actually did in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I could change it. And I had a fresh one, and I you know unzip my pocket pull the battery out and all this is really just buying time so that way we don't get too ambitious and run up there and and blow him when you know we really just need patience and i just got done putting that battery in and i heard i 
pop my head up and I'm really listening now and I hear him grunt again and Nick says I think you said he just grunted and I said I hear something and I turned back around and there he is at 50 yards Mm -hmm. and he's looking right at us and I mean it's one of these deals where it's like hopefully this temporary setup (laughs) works and I just I think I immediately drew or no no I'm sorry I grunted grunted. and as soon as he breaks and starts coming for us then you drew yep yep and he's now just headed straight to us and in this temporary setup I had these huge shooting lanes that's why we also stopped there. It was the main the main reason is is again we could shoot, um, we could just had all kinds of room to move the bow. Uh, well, yeah, I guess maybe not move the bow. That there was a I should have done a better job when we first got there at just pushing grass away from me mm-hmm. and not letting it be up in my face because that almost caused an issue later. But you know, temporary setup. You don't, yep. you don't really think to do that. I just kind of had a lot of grass right at my waist and ended up drawing. Everything felt good, but he was just headed right for the one spot that I didn't have a lane. There was some dogwoods and it was real stemmy. And I just thought there's no way I'm going to try to force one through there. It's just going to get deflected and going to be bad news. And I just really never thought that it would work out. He had mm-hmm. to come so far to the right that I just didn't think he'd ever do it without getting suspicious. But it just seemed like the the shadow and the snow camo and that decoy just had him completely convinced that we were another deer. And he just eventually got to where he was about 15 yards away, started quartering, you know, a little bit more broadside. And I thought to myself, just settle the pin. Just make sure. And I'd been drawn for, I think, a minute and 10 seconds. Yeah. It was over a minute. And with that decoy, you know, being a little bit of a sail in the wind, I just knew I had to really focus. And I mean, it was a super close shot, but I, I do remember my pin moving a lot. But I just really took extra time to settle. I mean, very, very hard emphasis on settle, which I did not do on the one that I hit too high earlier in the season. And to go along with that, one one of the things I was so stoked about post-shot, and I remember thinking about it as we were doing it, you're at full draw, I'm right over your right shoulder, so close that you're, when you're drawn back, your elbow is like in my chest. <laughs> so I'm, we're just barely like apart from each other. But as he starts moving right to get into that shooting lane, we were both simultaneously rotating our bodies, staying as close behind the decoy as we could and just keeping that decoy facing towards him and hiding ourselves at the same time. And I remember feeling us both move at the same pace, doing the same thing, and I was like, that's not – we didn't have to discuss that. That <laughs> yeah. We just did that. And uh, then, it I mean, just little things like that make all the difference in the world. Totally. I mean – that's what's so fun about filming hunts to me. It's like, if you film a hunt right down the bow like you did, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that is, to me, that, I mean, it's just what I'm interested in as much as shooting. Like, I love shooting deer with a bow, but, like, also capturing that footage is yep. so satisfying. It's so, it, it, it takes a lot of, I mean, it takes all the same effort. So, mm-hmm. like, when you when you pull it off like that, it's super fun. And yeah, just a 
just an incredible memory. I've been talking about wanting to do multiple things that I feel like we accomplished in this was shoot a buck with a bow in like a cold weather yeah. setting and then shooting a buck with that decoy. Yeah. Like I've just always been interested in doing that ever since I watched Whitetail Adrenaline do it for the first time. It was like, man, that is crazy. The part that is really interesting about it is unlike fanning a turkey, the deer has every ability and every chance to go downwind of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's kind of fun about it is you can you can kind of work you you kind of have to w- plan that as much as as anything is like how can you just make sure he's not just going to circle you. Yeah. And I mean you have to do that with every decoy, but you know that is what's different about a decoy for a turkey in my opinion is you, ha- you have that extra added game of playing the wind yeah and you know both situations both of these stories that we told we were really set up with the wind perfectly in our favor i mean just so perfectly i think that's the number one thing so yeah i guess all in all there's a lot of things that i learned in the cold weather hunting and some hard lessons but i mean ultimately i feel like it was super fun and you know finally got to put put an end to all of it yep. you know that was just good close to i guess that little chapter of my bow hunting season of 2022 yep <laughs> it was an awesome end yeah but any final takeaways for you snow like i mean obviously that's a new experience for you like, well, it's just having some sort of idea what to expect going into a situation like that and then knowing what works, what gear works, what combination of gear works in those situations, that's huge. And then, I mean, ever I the biggest takeaway for me deer hunting wise, actually chasing deer is like all of it. I mean, it's all like just one huge lesson. Mm-hmm. Every bit of it. Yep. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot a lot of like little things to take away and I feel like it's just in general the whole experience that I've had in Minnesota has been just, man, an awesome, awesome time, awesome time to learn new things and yep. definitely going to apply them in other places. But it's late. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We're finally done driving. We're going to go to sleep. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>